0: Jacob's going to be reading from John chapter 14, verses 5 to 10. Jesus, the way to the Father. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him as you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, great to see you this morning, we are working through a series trying to equip ourselves about some of the great messages that our our culture, our society is seeking to communicate with us. What is the meaning of life? Where do we find our identity? Where can true happiness, where can it be found if happiness can be found at all? And this morning there's another huge message that I want to uh, engage with and that is, we long to live in an inclusive society. No matter what the cost, we need to and we long to live in an inclusive society. But the trouble is our society, the world in which we live, is becoming increasingly polarised. I mean, choose your issue in recent history. COVID, different opinions thereof. Brexit, different opinions. Global warming, different opinions. Gender debates, lots of different opinions. And as soon as you engage with any one of those topics, the only thing that rises is not clarity, but the temperature in the room. We love to debate, but if you're like me, the issue when you debate with anyone else, when you've got convictions that are different from anyone else is, uh, well, you think you're right. And you think they're wrong. You think, I think, that I can see the whole picture with twenty twenty vision, and they're just missing something. I think I'm looking and viewing all the data with their intellect, but also with clarity and charity. They're obviously coming with a bias that I don't have. I'm good at weighing all the evidence in whatever the issue is. They clearly have a one-sided view of history. And so then I dig my heels in because I'm right and they or you are wrong. And then if I'm feeling a little bit cheesed off, I then start to uh, unpick the... uh, pin from the grenade and then I just throw a few verbal grenades in your direction I dig in my heels because I am either sinfully determined or I'm courageously uh, clear in my conviction so I say and so the big question that comes along if we long to live in an inclusive society is why don't we just get along I mean where's the foundation that we can agree upon where the principles that we share where's the clarity of the data that we can all just we can all just say is right and true why can't we just get along i mean let's take uh, covid out of the question let's take brexit out of our rearview mirror let's take global warming just as something that we're going to have to live with but one thing we must never talk about is the subject of religion let's let's just keep spirituality out of the public sphere let's keep it in the private domain that's the only way we will ever get along because religion Poisons absolutely everything. Now, I need to say as as a Christian, as a Christian minister, there is some truth in that claim. I read a super book over the summer by a man called John Dixon, and he looked with uh, some Australian humour, but also with great clarity and charity at the history of the church. And we need to say a lot of damage has been done in the name of Jesus Christ. And for that, I should be profoundly sorry. The history of the church can be said it's a history of bullies. But That's a one-sided view of history. It's also a history of saints, where a lot of good and charity has been done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But why can't we just get along? Well, for the last 200 years, this is what society has said. When you take God out of the picture, since the Enlightenment 200 years ago, religion its just going to die out. Just give it time, and like my own energy, getting over 40, very soon, The energy of the church, the energy of Islam, the energy of uh, Buddhism, it will just die out. Technology will not just have its say, it will win the day. And with great strides and advances in technology, humans will be shown that they don't need religion, they just need understanding. They just need uh, more time to reflect. But when you look around the world, one thing you see regardless of the religion that you choose to follow The major religions are growing very very rapidly so religion will not just die out maybe we need to do something different and that is make religion private not public maybe that's the way we can just get along i mean you can be a spiritual person but one thing you must never say is that your spirituality your religion your convictions are the only way that's one way to empty a room or a carriage that's one way for the temperature to go through the roof and I'm not just talking internally. Keep your religion private. Don't bring it to work. Don't bring it to school or college. Don't share it. Then we can all live together. But the problem for two centuries is that's not worked either. So why can't we we just get along? Why can't we just get along? We need to think about this. Well, one way that we could just get along, let's try this. Why don't we agree to just... Just coexist. Let's all go and buy a Subaru and a bumper sticker that says coexist, and then that shows that we can all just get along. We can take the main religious symbols, put them on a sticker, and we just agree not to talk about religion. We agree to keep it out of the public square and in our private life. We just need to coexist. Or we could say, well, here's another way that we could do it. What about just agreeing that it's just a, a different angle, a different lens in which we live of the same data? So rather than a sticker, let's take a mountain. How about, let's think about this with great seriousness, that that actually all religions are like going up a mountain. They all go to the same direction, they all use the same information, just different words for the same reality. So you've had a bumper sticker and you've had a mountain with paths leading to the same destination with God at the top. Well, here's another example, not a mountain or a sticker, but a story. Leslie Newbegin was a, missionary to India. He was a Christian man and he did a lot of thinking about what it means to live in a pluralist. That means that in a society where there are many paths to God or many ways to God that people think. And he told a story of uh, six blind people who were engaging with an elephant. And so six blind people had their hands on different parts of an elephant. And he told the story to illustrate what it was like to live in a pluralistic society. One blind man grabs the trunk and says, God is like a hose. Another blind man grabs the elephant's leg and says, no, no, God is more like a tree stump. Another blind man grabs the elephant's tail and says, no, 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 God is more like a string. And Newbegin said, that's the way that people view religion. It's like pathways up a mountain, it's a bumper sticker where everyone is of equal truth and weight, or it's like people with a blind leading the blind. Everyone has a handle, literally, on a part of truth, on a part of revelation. We just need to get along. But there is a problem with that story, says Newbegin. There's a problem of saying there are six blind people and there's an elephant in the middle. And that is, the real, he came to a realization that the problem with that story is that somebody is outside of the narrative. Someone is telling the story. Someone is saying... Everyone who is spiritual or an atheist, someone who's a follower of a mainline religion or one that they've just made up, they're like those blind people, but the person, the narrator, who's telling the story is claiming that he has 20 or she has 20-20 vision, that they can see that everybody has partial truth, but they are the only one who can see everything clearly. The only way to possibly know that every religion has a partial handle on the truth is to claim that you've got 20-20 vision of the whole picture. The only way to say that there are six blind people and an elephant in the picture is if you think that you're not, that you can see with great clarity. The only possible way to say that no one should talk in a superior way is if you yourself are speaking in a superior way. You see? New Begin had a super illustration. It's not about a bumper sticker or a mountain. It's certainly not about the blind leading the blind and an elephant in the middle. Why can't we just get along? So one of the big questions we need to ask as we think about uh, a society that is inclusive and tolerant, one of the big questions we need to think about is, what has caused us to reject our Christian heritage? What's caused us to uh, marginalise Christianity? What's caused us to debunk a lot of the Christian truth that we claim now is false in our society? As we've done that, here's the big question, has our society become more or less inclusive? As we've got rid of our Christian foundation and our Christian moorings, I mean, is our society in the twenty-first century safer for the vulnerable? Is our society in the twenty-first century more caring for those who are weak? The public voices that we hear, are we more, are we more selfish or are we more selfless, as we've got rid of our Christian heritage? Because here's a great paradox as we turn to John chapter 14. Jesus Christ claims that the foundation for a more inclusive society can be found in his words, and perhaps in some of the most controversial words he said in the whole of his time on earth. John 14 verse 6 says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are the words of Jesus and they tell a better story. That's what I want us to think about this morning. Why can't we all just get along? Well Jesus in these controversial words paradoxically says this is the beginning where you understand my claim and my words of the foundation of a better story. What do I mean? Well look, if you open the Bible, if you open the Bible to John's Gospel and if you read it from beginning to end, You would find a person, Jesus Christ, with lots of humility, but very little modesty. What do I mean? Jesus had humility, but very little modesty. Think about some of the interactions that the Lord Jesus had as he walked on the face of the earth. He was tender with very, very sleepy disciples. He was kind to prostitutes. He was gentle and approachable to children and to the marginalised in society. He wept repeatedly when he saw the effects of sin that he came to deal with and be done with once and for all. He was incredibly humble with his actions and tender and gentle. But when he spoke, there was very little modesty. He makes seven remarkable truth claims in John's gospel, the great I am statements. In John chapter 11, when Jesus' close friend Martha, when Lazarus, her brother, had died, She said to the Lord Jesus, Jesus, if you had been here, it would have been a different story. If you'd been here, Jesus, why weren't you here? Do you care for us? Do you love us? And Jesus says in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. All who believe in me will live even though they die. It's one of these seven great truth claims that Jesus says in John 8. Jesus says, I am the... The light of the world. He's at a, a great festival for Jewish people. And he says, all of the history of the Old Testament points to me. I care for my people. In John 4, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. All the religious leaders of the Old Testament were harsh. They were like wolves, but I am the good shepherd. And my heart for my people will be shown as I lay down my life for my people. In this passage that we're looking at in John 14, the context is that Jesus has already spoken twice of his imminent death and he wants to reassure his disciples who are very weak at the knees and uh, whose hearts are melting and he makes significant promises about the future about heaven and he reminds them of his great and precious character and so in verse 6 he says another of these great statements I am the way the truth and the life but we need to look carefully at what Jesus is actually saying look at verse 7 that follows Jesus says, I am the only way to know the Father. I'm the only way to know the Father. You can go know God as a boss. You can know God as as a deity. You can know God something of his transcendent, his great power and authority. But through me and through me alone, as the way, the truth and the life, you can know God not just as a boss, but as a Father. You can know God not as someone who's far away and in control. You can know God as someone who's far away and in control, but also someone who's come near. You can know God intimately. I am the only way to the Father. You can know God only through me. Now you say, well, that's slightly offensive. What about my friends at the water cooler at work? What about my friends on Teams and Zoom that I have meetings with online? And I've got a Muslim friend, I've got a Buddhist friend, I've got a secular friend, I've got got someone who's an atheist and I love them dearly at college. What about someone who I know, my neighbour, who says he's got no religion at all? What about them? Well, Jesus is saying in these uh, clear words, let's compare. He could say with an opera voice, go compare. Let's compare the great religions of the world to the claims of Jesus. Just compare, is there any other way in any other well-known religion, to believe the very things that I am saying to you. Jesus is saying, I am. This is great uh, sentiment and truth from the Old Testament, from the book of Exodus, and he's applying it to himself. He's saying, I alone am God, I am. I'm the God of the Old Testament as much as the God of the new. I existed before the world was made. I spoke it into being and I sustain it by a word of creative authority and power there is no one like me, says Jesus. The Father alone sent me on a rescue mission. No other uh, religious leader can claim to have done that. I'm the Son of God. I came to earth um, out of loving initiative, and reconciliation is in my heart for you. You would never turn back to me, and so I've come to rescue you. I've taken all of hell into my soul so that I will not lose you. I was punished in your place. I died for your sake. I paid the debt that you deserve. I took your penalty upon my very person. I suffered and yet I rose again. Go compare. No other religious leader has wounds, says Jesus. Are all religions really the same? Why can't we all just get along? Can't we coexist? No, because not all religions are the same. No other religious leader will claim the words of Jesus from John 14, verse 6. There's something we need to contend with here. Jesus is saying something that actually is is offensive to the uneducated ear, but it's something that is very, very true. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus the Son. I am who I say I am. Go compare. I am absolutely the only way to the Father. Now, how could you possibly know that? Verse six, Jesus says, I am the truth. He does not say I point to the truth. He does not say I'm a sage, a prophet or a wise man. He says, I am the truth. You can know the truth by listening to me and knowing me. I sent every prophet and they pointed to me, but I am the truth and I alone am the truth. Dave really helpfully last week explained this to us. We all have some truth that we seem to to hang our life upon like a screw or a nail for a DIY enthusiast in the wall. We need to check that there's no uh, uh, cables behind the screw or the nail that we put into the wall with our drill or hammer. But we also need to check that the the nail or the screw that we put into the wall is adequate for the weight that we're gonna put on it. All of us have truths in our lives that we seek to live for, a foundation, for a different way of saying it. Something that we will live for and die for, something that will control us, something that we wake up in the middle of the night thinking about. But whatever the truth is that we live for, if it's not Jesus, it can't love you. It can control you. It will not be able to take the weight of your hopes and expectations that you place upon it, but it cannot love you, and it certainly can't forgive you. It can only demand from you. And Jesus says, I am the way, and I alone am the way. John begins his gospel with these famous words. He says, in the beginning was the word. The word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld its glory. God's glory is seen in the person of Jesus. In the person of Jesus, the truth of God, the very truth of God, has become manifest in the person of God, Jesus Christ. The truth has become someone we can know, someone that can love us, someone who can touch us and embrace us, someone who can alone forgive us. And Jesus, Jesus is the very person we were made for. He's the one that we were built for, and he's the one alone that we can know. I am the truth. I don't point to the truth. I am the truth. And Jesus says, I am the only way. That's possible because he journeyed from heaven to earth and from earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave and from the grave to the sky and to the heavens. Because of the journey of Jesus, we can know God intimately. But that's not all that Jesus says. He says, I am the life. Jesus comes along and says like uh, Bobby McFarlane, don't worry. Don't worry because I'm here. I'm not just giving you a map to follow. Here's Google Maps, download it on your phone. Here's the map of the underground. Go to London for the first time and do your best. He says, I'm the way. I am the way. It's intimacy, it's personality, it's personal, it's closeness. I will come in and I will change you. Remember the woman at the well that we looked at in John chapter 4 just a few weeks ago? A woman whose life had been turned upside down and whose heart had been broke by men again and again and again. The bucket of her spirit had been placed down into a well that can never quench the thirst of her heart. And then Jesus comes along and says to her, if you believe in me, if you know me, in your heart will spring up living water. It will satisfy your every longing and meet your every need. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. In verse 6, Jesus says these three great Truths, but the reality that he is the truth and the reality that he's the way is only true if he is who he says he is. Notice I skipped over the I amness. Excuse me. <clears throat> Every other leader of the world religion says, go and do this, go and do that. Every other religious leader says, just put your feet in my footsteps. They say it's the pathway of obedience through what you do. And Jesus would have the audacity to say, don't just go and compare me to the other religions, but but try on the other religions for size. Try on my yoke as well, say Jesus. Just try seeking to save yourself for one single day. Go and read the teaching of Jesus. Go and read the Sermon of the Mount and try and keep it for one single day. And it is a crushing burden, just like following any other religious leader. Just say, I'm going to follow the rules of Jesus. I'm going to follow the example of Jesus. I'm going to follow the teaching of Jesus without taking on his gentle, burdensome yoke. Jesus says, try it on for size, go and compare. But I am the only way. I am the only truth. Jesus is the way himself. He's not saying, here's the way, go and follow it. Here's the way, go and download it. Here's the way, I'll see you at the end. He says, I will come into your heart and in your heart will grow up a spring of living water that will grow to eternal life. I didn't come to show you how to strive. I didn't come and show you how to work. I did all the striving for you. I didn't come and show you, here's the mountain, climb to the top, see you at the top. Here's the Mount of Righteousness, see you at the top. I climbed it for you. I didn't come and show you how to live a perfect life. I did it for you. I died in your place. I lived the life you should have lived. I died the death you should have died. And so that is the reason that I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Come and rest in me, says Jesus. That's why the gospel is great news. It's what we say every Christmas. It's a a pronouncement. It's an announcement of truth that's already happened. The goodness of God that's already been revealed. And so it's no longer due, it's done. It's done. Can you see why all religions are not the same? Can you see why you can't just get along? Because there's these great truth claims of King Jesus who is unique. He's not just one way among many. Verse 6 and 7, no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, but that's kind of exclusive. It's kind of offensive what Jesus says. That's not really going to fly at college or university. That's not going to wash as I say that to my friends at the pub when I see them. It is kind of exclusive what Jesus says, but he alone can say what he has said. And the gospel says that when you see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, this exclusivity of King Jesus is the only way that we will truly get along. It's the only way for the inclusivity of society that we truly long for. What do I mean? When Jesus died for the sins of the world and rose again, as the gospel spread throughout the Roman Empire, one of the great paradoxes was how the truth of the gospel affected every part of society. In the Roman world, in the Greco-Roman world, when the Christians said, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, but Jesus is Lord, knowing that they would face certain death in the Colosseum, this very exclusive truth claim spread like wildfire. Thousands, tens of thousands and millions of people became Christians. So there's the paganism of the Roman world, where there are many, many gods, gods of all shapes and sizes. And then there's the exclusivity of the Christian gospel. But it was the Christian gospel that exploded in growth. And it's a great paradox. What created a community so inclusive? People from every tribe, tongue and nation. I mean, the Greeks and the Romans, they didn't mix rich and poor, but Christians did. They didn't mix Jew and Gentile, but the church was full of people from every tribe, tongue and nation. They didn't even mix men and women. And yet women were some of the great leaders of the early church as long as the men. The testimony of of women is foundational to the truth of the gospels that we have recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And why would such exclusive truth claims of Jesus create such an inclusive society where people were getting along and they were selling all their stuff as each had according need? Because of the gospel. Friends, Jesus' words sound so exclusive and they are. But the truth of Jesus is the only foundation for us to build an inclusive society. Jesus and his truth is peace-loving, it's inclusive-making, because he is so humble to those who did him harm. See, when truth becomes visible in the person of Jesus, you see a man on the cross loving people who don't love him. You see a man on the cross with arms outstretched for the sins of the world, forgiving people who are abusing him, spitting at him, having punched him. You see a man on the cross who sacrificially served people who opposed him at his every breath and turn? And when the early church took that truth into their hearts, it revolutionized the church. How could they be cruel at people who were opposing them, when Jesus modeled for them a life that it was good to do that? It was good to do good to those who were against you. It was good to love your enemies, to forgive those who persecuted you. I mean, doesn't this exclusive truth claim, where you say that? Christians say that their God is God alone? Doesn't that bring arrogance? Doesn't that bring, breed uh, self-righteousness? No, it doesn't. When the truth of Jesus dying with arms outstretched is brought into your heart, and in the heart and the centre of the church and the centre of a society, it breeds humility. It breeds understanding. It breeds compassion. And so here's the great question. Everyone, your friends who say, I'm spiritual, your friends who say, uh, All that religion has done in the history of the world is harm. Your friend who is a faithful Muslim, your friend who is a kind Buddhist. The big question that we need to engage with is this. Everybody has an exclusive set of beliefs. Christianity does have an exclusive set of beliefs around the person of Jesus. But the big question to wrestle with is this. Which exclusive set of beliefs has the resources to enable people to treat others with whom they differ with greatly, with respect, with dignity, with compassion, with love? Which great story that our culture is telling us can attract people from different races and places and ages and times and tribes? Which set of beliefs creates the most inclusive behaviour? I mean, if you base your society on rule keeping, so, so the, good, the good get into heaven and the bad don't, well, that creates superiority, doesn't it? You just compare and you look down on those who do worse than you. If you're an atheist and you see uh, the elephant and six blind people holding different parts of truth that you you disagree with, but uh, that just creates superiority again. Religion is just a crutch for those who are weak. But if and when you take the gospel into your heart, when you believe Jesus, not just as a a historical person, but as Lord and your Lord, when you take him into the very centre of your person, It creates an atmosphere of your heart of humility. You're quick to listen before you speak. Everyone has a shared dignity because they're made in the image of God. And you're humbled before people with whom you profoundly disagree. You want to serve people who believe different things than you do because you know a man who loves people the way you don't. But your heart has been won by him. Jesus says these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paradoxically, our best hope for a more inclusive society is found on a narrow path that leads to a cross.